You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Well, we're going to be in Romans 12 today, so if you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. We are concluding our six-week series here, so we're going to finish up here back where we started, Romans 12. We're going to start verses 1 and go all the way to verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Lord, we just come under your word today. We claim it to be inspired and sufficient for our living. We are gathered in this room collectively as your people, Lord, knowing that in this week we have done things and said things that have fallen short of your standard, short of your glory, short of your love. And so, Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. We confess where we fall short. And Lord, we ask that today we might leave here with greater delight in who you are and your love and your grace and your mercy for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And over the last few weeks, we've talked in great lengths about the necessity of believers to consider the church in the future, the church that is coming within our culture. We've studied the steady decline and devaluation of cultural Christianity. We examine how the world and the ideas of consumerism have shaped us in the church in ways that are unhelpful towards deep, abiding, flourishing faith in Christ. We have said that there may be challenging days ahead for God's people, and that in those days, we cannot, to the best of our ability, bend the truth of God. We cannot bend the truth of his design, can bend our hope, and we can't rationalize sin to live comfortably in this world. We cannot sacrifice the values of the coming kingdom of God to live lavishly in this earthly one. 
Yet if there are challenging days ahead, we have all the assurances to know that beauty and goodness will find God's people because the same God that created the world will be in our midst. And in that day, we will find a need to explore and engage and challenge our faith, our hope. And in that challenge, we will find greater delight in the mercies of God to a degree that we will offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, with greater joy than we do right now. And our challenge has been this in this series. Why wait? Why wait when those realities and postures might be forced upon God's people in the future? Why wait? Why not do that now? Why not study the ancient church? Why not study its wisdom, a group of unwanted people in their day to esteem their wisdom, to see their uncompromising hope, to pray that God would instill with us the same sort of convictions and peace and perseverance that was present in them today. And so this week, we want to take a closer look at how we see people. And even more specifically, what we try to get from people in this culture. There is a tension in this world that wants in our, us in our individualistic natures to label one another as allies or enemies somewhere upon that spectrum. But Christ gives us a different word and attitude towards his people. He calls his people a body. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, says, For as in one body we have many members, and those members do not have the same function. And though we are many, individually we belong to each other. The term body is good news today. It is good news for us who can hear it because it absolutely changes the way that we live, changes the priority of life, and what we need from one another. And so the big idea today is, is very simple. It's, it's scripture. It's Colossians chapter 1. Christ was before all things, and in him all things are held together. Christ was before all things, and in him all things are held together. That's quite poetic, but it is quite literal as well. All things find their worth and origin in Christ. So I want to take a bit of a snapshot today in the area of culture and relationships for us to examine. At its simplest level, culture is simply defined with doing, or I should say, it's what we do with what God has made. What do we do, God's created person, do with his creation? What do we do with our brains? What do we do with our hands? What do we do with our bodies? What do we do with those natural resources, the plants and the animals? How do we set up systems and structures and governments? How are those, how those things are used is what creates culture. And so we've said that we're not haters of culture. We're not haters of people. We engage. How we engage matters. But we can be caring critics, caring critics of culture and effort to see its creatures and that creation glorify their creator, simply for our joy and for God's glory. And so I want to do a little bit of definition work today before we get started. And honestly, 
I geeked out a little bit here today. I love words. Words are fascinating to me. And so you're going to hear me talk about two different terms a lot. One of them is individualism, and the second is collectivism. And I look, I know that I've made up quite a few words in my time teaching from the stage. These are not words that I've made up, okay? I promise you that. So let's define these words a little bit. The idea of individualism is defined by this. It's a set of political, social, and cultural beliefs that emphasize the moral worth of the individual. And so everything is focused on the person, on the individual within individualism. Collectivism is similar but distinct in one area. It's a set of political, social, and cultural beliefs that emphasize the moral worth of the community. And so the community becomes, comes before the individual. One believes that systems, structures, and beliefs of that society should sacrifice for the greater good of the individual. The other believes that the individual should sacrifice for the greater good of that society's systems, structures, and beliefs. And without a doubt, we live in a culture that is centered around individualism. Now, you could make the case that this nation was founded and rooted in collectivism, but those days are gone. In America, the individual is king. And that truth is ingrained in us in more ways than we know. So let me flesh that out a little bit so you understand. There's a really cool documentary on PBS. I love documentaries. And the reason that Arlie said the word donut today, because I was talking about the documentary called The Donut King. And there's a good, if you put the term donut into something, I'm paying attention. And so automatically I'm grasped by this documentary called Donut King. It's a film that is focused on a group of Cambodian refugees that was brought out of their country and into America. In the 1970s, there was a great war in Cambodia, and those who supported, supported democracy were run out, and lives were threatened. Millions were genocide in Cambodia, and the United States chose to take 50,000 refugees in the mid-70s. I, I was fascinated with that storyline, that the American government chose to take on refugees. And the president at the time, Gerald Ford, said that America was founded on immigration. It is only right that we do this. And so he, they bring over 50,000 Cambodian refugees and they set them up in a camp at a military base in California. And this is their plan. It wasn't that these refugees would live off of government, government assistance. This was the plan. They asked American people, families, and organizations to sponsor Cambodian families, to house them, to feed them, to clothe them, and to help them find jobs. All of it without an ounce of benefit, without an ounce of tax credit, zero in it for themselves. And it worked. And the Donut King is the story of one of these Cambodian families who went on to make a donut empire in the state of California. It amazed me 
It amazed me because I, I stand here today in 2020 and I ask myself, could that happen today? One, that we would take on refugees in this country, and two, that American people would, out of the goodness of their heart, without due compensation, sacrifice in such extreme ways. And I'll let you answer that question yourselves. But from my perspective, we have become, and friends, this is me, my, my heart has to battle against this. We've become people who are so invested in our personal agendas, who are so individualistic that to sacrifice anything without due compensation is almost scandalous. Yet every one of us, of us in here want to live in a world where the refugee has dignity and value and respect. We just don't want to sacrifice personally for that to happen. There are all sorts of realities that we want to be esteemed in this world. But there are far too realities that we're willing to sacrifice personally to see happen. Individualism has changed us. It has changed the way that we live. It's changed how we do things. And not only has it changed our habits, like, look, it's even changed the way that we read our scripture. If you take one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, David and Goliath, this story of a small young boy named David fighting this giant Philistine named Goliath, a society that's focused on individualism reads this as a hero narrative or a monomyth. We think that if I could just be like David, I too could con con conquer and succeed. And so we take this story about David and we reduce it to personal application and we say, David did these things and if I did these things, then I too will be as successful as David. Yet, we fail to realize that David lived within a collectivism where individuals were never as important as the community. The nation of Israel was far more important than David, and the one true God of Israel was far more important than that. David and Goliath isn't a story about David in the slightest. It's about God. When David comes on the scene and he sees his fearful countryman, he says, what will be given to the man that kills this Philistine and remove the disgrace from our nation? Who will take this uncircumcised Philistine out who has brought disgust onto the nation of, of, and God? David is incensed by the Philistines' dishonor of his nation and his dishonor of God. And as he approaches Goliath, David says, I come against you in the name of the Lord, the commander of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. David doesn't say, look at me. He says, I come to you today, and the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This is about honor. David acted out of faith, and yes, he, he threw the stone, 
but God killed the giant. David is nothing without God. Individualism takes the scriptures and it says, how does this apply to my life? Collectivism reads the scripture so that I know how to give myself more fully to God. It changes us. And you say, well, what's the point? Well, unless we are aware of this sort of individualism by the grace of God, we will not find in the days ahead flourishing in our faith. We will not see the church as necessary, and we will cease to be salt and light in our day. We find ourselves in a very precarious situation today. We have become hyper-focused on the individual. We elevate individual rights, freedoms, and expression. Each individual today is their own truth creator, And every truth is to be tolerated by all. Social media has given us environment and opportunity to brand ourselves, market ourselves, to sell ourselves as a product. Like, look how good and awesome I am. Professional sports today, they're about players. They're not about teams anymore. Success is often in how well you can convince and manipulate people to buy your goods and your service. Sacrifice today has become about surrendering and sacrificing our character and our integrity for the cause of things that are sinful and not sacrificing our sinfulness for the cause of character. And all of it All of it has come at a cost. All of it has come at a cost. With hyper-individualism comes erosion of public institutions and functions and communities that for the entirety of this society have been where we collectively have found our purpose, our fulfillment, our happiness, and our significance. But more than that, individualism robs us of the kind of flourishing that God designed us to find because we were never intended to live focused on ourselves. So listen, this feels opinionated, but it's not just my opinion. The evidence is all around us. The evidence is all around. I want to throw you some data today. I want to highlight some of the all-time highs that are present within our culture and the all-time lows that are present in our culture. And this doesn't even account for the pandemic in this last year. I want you to see from the data the environment that we are living in today and how heavy and exhausting it is. And so right now, statistics would tell you that in this time and place, at an all-time low, our church attendance, volunteerism, charitable giving, social club involvement, whether that's Lions Club, Awanas, whether that's simply going to the bowling alley with friends, PTA membership, Parent Teachers Association membership. We have the lowest birth rate in the history of our nation. We have fewer people who are getting married. And right now, Americans say they're at the lowest level of happiness in our existence. 
These are at all time lows. But I want you to know and see what is at all time highs right now. Right now, at an all time high, is depression and loneliness and anxiety and suicide, obesity, people living alone, stress, and this may surprise you, free time. We have five more hours of free time a week than we did in 1960. There is some crazy things that our statistics tell us about we're living. Look at these two together. All-time high, all-time lows. There is a paradox that exists in our current time and place where we are removing ourselves from the places and the institutions and the postures that have brought immense worth and value into our lives. And all the while, we are continuing to long for greater fulfillment in our lives, yet we're doing it by trying to find instant gratification. And the results have been devastating on the individual. And it feels like something might break because we cannot live like this forever. Most every psychological, sociological report is going to tell you there are some key elements to a gratifying life. And most assuredly, a part of every one of those studies at some level are relationships that create belonging. Serving a cause that is greater than yourself. Sharing with and focusing on others and not isolating yourself. Almost every single study agrees with those ideas. Yet, we live in a culture that chooses and teaches pleasure over people, surface level connection over deep abiding relationship, selfishness over sacrifice, and screens over presence. And so we lack contentment, sustained joy, and peace. We feel it, and we know it, but our individualism is so ingrained in us that we allow the forces of consumerism to compel to us yet again that if we just had that, my life would be better. And it puts us into a vicious cycle that takes us deeper and deeper into the bondage of self-indulgence. So listen, the sermon is not focused on telling you to do something different. I'm not here today to compel to you that you need to be giving yourself up in greater capacity or that you need to start sacrificing. Are all those things good? Yes. All those things are good. That's not what we're after today. Because you can't change who you are and what you do if you don't change what you believe. We have to change our view on God. We have to make him bigger in our lives. Mankind exists for the sake of God. God does not exist for the sake of man. Therefore, we will find all of our worth through him and all of our origin in him, in all things. 
he holds us together. In all things, find him as the beginning. There is a hole in every single one of us that on the individual level that we need to belong and be valued and love, but also to experience those same postures inside of a self-giving and sacrificial community of people. We are designed to be both individualistic and collective. So look, I don't want you just to, me, to hear me harping on our culture, harping on this individualism within our area, within our nation. If you grew up in a collective culture, which would be very Asian, very Latin American, a lot of the core issues in your life would be coming from the fact that that sort of culture doesn't dignify and respect the individual. You don't have a voice. Your convictions don't matter. Only the larger community's voice and convictions matter. We were designed to live in both, to know both. And there's only one entity, one source that can bring value and dignity to the individual and promote deeply beneficial sacrifice to the collective. It's Christ. In Christ, all things are held together. In Christ, all of the needs and the realities of our soul find their worth and are held together. The fact that you haven't found what you're looking for on this earth testifies to the fact that you can't find it here. It isn't here. It is in your creator. Paul, in this beautiful text in Romans that we've studied, has walked us through this idea of what it means to be a living sacrifice, giving God all that we are, all that we desire. And then he pins this beautiful truth of how God's people were designed to live, and he sums it up in one word, body. We are to be a body. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. As a living sacrifice, we give ourselves fully to the Lord and then to one another because we belong to him. You are in him. You are in him. You are in union by faith so that all that he is is for you so that we that are many are one, redeemed together, justified together, forgiven together, created anew together, Every need met together, loved together, perfected together, living forever together, and all for the glory of Christ in him. And so what Paul is saying is, I'm a part of you, and you're a part of me. I'm like your eye, or your ear, or your toe, or your foot, or your hand, and you're like my eye, and my ear, and your, my hand, and my foot. Paul says, we together, as parts, individually belong to one another. And here's the amazing thing. That's who I am. And that's who you are. Which means that my individuality, my individual identity as God has created me to be, cannot be known except in serving you in my reliance on Christ. And yours cannot be known except in serving others in your reliance on Christ. That's why what hands and feet and ears and eyes do, they serve 
That's why we have gifts. That's why we have equipment. That's why we have skills. That every part of the body has a function and a purpose. And everyone in that body has the same dignity and value because we are all essential to one another. And so to be in a body of believers means that the individual has first and foremost found their worth in Christ because only Christ brings worth to our souls. Only Christ can secure your value, your identity, your future, your righteousness. Nothing on this earth can bring to you what your creator can. Our God is unchanging. He is never ending. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. Beloved, you cannot outrun his love. But you cannot live without it. He is preeminent. He is eternal. He is full of light without a speck of darkness. He has no flaw. He made you. He knows you. He knew you in your mother's womb. He created you fearfully and wonderfully. He made you. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He leads me besides quiet waters. He leads me to green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There is nothing in you or about you that isn't held together in him. There is nothing in you or about you that doesn't find its worth in him. We can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. But our God is long-suffering with his creation, and he is full of grace and truth, and he so loved the world. Only in Christ does the individual find its worth so that we can give ourselves away, so that we can give ourselves to one another as we were made to do. You see, in consumerism and individualism, you can never really give yourself away because you're always trying to find yourself. But in Christ, together, we find rest. We find rest. Only in Christ can the individual be satisfied so that he can give him or herself away to the collective. Only as being part of the body can I experience life in Christ as it was meant to be. We need each other. We are far more than allies. We are not enemies. We are a body. And so listen, the world has taught you in individualism and consumerism to make everything about you. But I remind you, you weren't meant to live like that. And our culture is breaking because of it. Those all-time highs reflect to you the folly of a life that is focused on the individual. You were designed to flourish by being a part of a body, to know your worth and to serve one another in Christ. Might this local body this church reflect a more complete picture of what it means to be that body, 
what it means to function together and serve one another, to be a part of one another. Would you pray for that? We spend so much time dividing, but so little time uniting as the body. This is the big idea today. Christ was before all things, and in him all things are held together, and that means you. If Christ matters, if you know him, might you consider how you can serve him and others, how you can give yourself away. It is what you were designed to do. Because the church in the future will not have the choice. They will be the body. They will be the body because there will be no other choice and they have no other desire. So friends, find your worth in him. Everything everything finds its completion in him. Don't make your faith about chasing a feeling. Consumerism taught you that. You just be faithful. Trust him. Love him. Know his heart. Know his word. Heed his call. Love and serve his body in him. That is our call. That is life as it was designed to be.